0: Oh, don't you worry. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Let's get started. Another race for the world's
1: greatest driver, Juan Manuel Banjo. Former world champion Jim Clark leapt into the lead. That's Clark's Lotus going like a bomb. And James Hunt is the world champion
0: by just one
1: single point. By being a racing driver, you are under risk all the time. And if you no longer go for a gap that exists,
0: you're no longer a racing driver. And that is Michael Schumacher ahead the world champion. To become a four time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, champion of the world. That's for all the kids out there who dream the impossible. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of F1 in Review, the episode and the hour where we look back at the return of the Singapore Grand Prix and the Japanese Grand Prix that's to come this weekend. I'm Tom Claiborne and as ever, I'm joined by Tristan Fancourt and Angus Gallagher, a reminder that you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in Review accounts where we post these episodes sporadically, that's my fault, on there as well. So we start off now with the delay start that got even more delayed. Owing to the pandemic, we already had to wait Two years for the return of this Grand Prix, but thanks to rain and the FIA's decision making, that became two hours. Sorry, that became two years and one hour. The uh, race was delayed by rain. Some say it was the only decision the FAA could have made, but others say that they reacted too slowly to the rain stopping and we could have got going sooner than we did and therefore getting all the laps in, not having to end under the stop clock situation or rule scheme. Um, But where do you guys fall on this? Was the FAA too uh, pedantic, too cautious, too conservative, or did they make the right decision in terms of delaying this? by an hour and essentially delaying the procedure as well as the race right so let's talk about
1: the the first part of that which is this stop clock scenario okay so the way the race works is the race has to be completed by a set number of laps or within two hours and that two hour window of the race has to fall within a wider three-hour window, and that three-hour window begins from the moment the race was scheduled to start. Okay, and so Singapore is a very slow track, which means the race lasts a very long time. It's 61 laps, and I think last year, or last time we raced there, the race lasted an hour and 55 minutes. And that's very common for us to see one hour of 50-something for the race time, because Singapore is quite long and it's quite slow, so it takes them a while to do uh, the number of laps, the 61 laps. And so, going into this, we knew that if it rained, there would be a quite a short window in which the race would have to start in order for us to get the full number of laps under our belt and there is a bit of controversy over whether or not that that larger 3 hour window should start um when the schedule is supposed to be or whether or not it should be bumped forward if the f in you know, fia decide to to move the race start ahead um i don't think it would be too outrageous to say that it it could be adapted slightly to say well the 3 hour window actually begins at the um at the the new schedule start time rather than the original one because you know that then that way we wouldn't have this problem but that's that's a, that's an argument for another day but what's bizarre i think about what we saw at the weekend on sunday was there was this hesitancy from the FIA to get under green flag conditions for racing um in the wet and I would admit that at the very beginning on Sunday, uh, when we got close to the time uh, that we were supposed to you know, have our <laughs> lights out and away we go, it was a little bit too wet on the track. And the, the primary reason why you don't race under wet conditions is not because the tyres can't displace the water. We actually have extremely good tyres for displacing water, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but we, they, Bridgestone created this stuff called like monsoon tires that could throw stupid amounts of water, which would you <laughs> know more than the 80 liters a second of water that the the wet tires um, throw away. The, the problem is, is when you throw the water away, you prevent the person behind you from being able to see anything, and that's the the big spray tails that you see. Um, coming off the back of the cars, even in not very wet conditions, you'll see there's quite a lot of spray, and that's because even under the inter- even the intermediate tyres uh throw quite a lot of water behind them. And so the fear I think from the FIA was, if they went racing at one o'clock, then it, although the tyres could handle it, because of the the tight, narrow streets of Singapore, no one would be able to see anything, would have a beard accident. Oh dear, there'd be a red flag, and then we, they might as well have delayed it. The the problem I have is is. They went for an hour, an hour, and I think that was way too much time. I don't, I don't think we needed to wait uh, the full hour until um, ten past, uh, ten past two when they actually eventually decided that they were going to get going. Because by that point, that everyone was starting on the intermediate tires, it should be, I think, much more of the case where they go, right, well, it's you know it's too wet at the moment. It's a bit too wet for the wet tyres, but they should still start the race in the wet tyres. I think that should be the point. The point where the FIA get going is the point where the spray is low enough on the wet tyres. If you've waited to the point where it's intermediate tyres, I think you've waited too long because mm. we have wet tyres for a reason. And then if they had, for example, waited till... You know, let's say half an hour, I was expecting half an hour, then they would have started in the wet tyres, and then we would have had the race from wets to inters, then inters to slicks, and that is like my favourite scenario, one of my favourite scenarios in racing, so to me, I think it lasted just far too long, that they were just far too hesitant, and I understand that you want your drivers to be able to see, but if you went the other way, and it started to rain, you would have seen the Inters going on, then it'd gone a bit wetter, and then it would all got wet, and then it would have got heavy enough that they red flagged it. There's the, the full staging. I don't understand why we're not staging it properly in the other way. So I think perhaps we need to review when we think it's right to go racing, because personally, I think if you're waiting to Inters, you're waiting too long, especially when you've only got a three-hour window to run a race and especially when it's in Singapore it takes ages to race yeah,
2: yeah. it doesn't need a review it doesn't need a review it just needs to go back to the old days where they used to play it by ear they used to look at the conditions and they used to go they used to have the safety car going around the track which they do at the moment but they used to play it by ear and just go right this looks good well enough to race they used to get the driver's opinion because guess who's driving on that racetrack on those tyres in those conditions uh, the drivers so it makes sense that they get those people's views and I think they've absolutely bottled it, how they've avoided the full wet uh, possibility. I feel like the FIA now, we not had, I get it, we don't have a wet race every single race, but in the, the few we've had since Spa last year, the FIA seems to be running scared. They think that any occurrence of rain on the track, which is heavy enough to be for wet tyres, means they have to just take it slowly and not do the start. I mean, I know last year in Spa, they couldn't race in that realistically. Yeah, it was too too wet, too foggy as well, really dangerous. But we've had now both Monaco this year and also Singapore, and maybe it's the factor of there being street tracks. You know, the fact that mm. the walls are closer, the fact that um, there's white lines which are usually like road markings, so therefore the white lines don't um, help the tires grip as much and reduce and increase the risk of uh, spinning off. But they've this. I don't want to say the classic phrase that's used in football: the game's gone soft. But at the same time, like they—they're just—they're just not going with what would be one of the more easy options, which would be to let them race at the end of the day and give them the best chance as possible to race. Because at the end of the day, that's what we want as fans. I agree with you, Tristan. I love those races where you have more variables thrown in. The variables being the transition from wet to dry. Uh, sorry, from wet to inter and from dry uh, inter to dry. Those make for fascinating races. And I know the order on Sunday was switched up a bit more and there was a bit more attrition than usual, which was good to see. I d- don't mind those kind of races either. But having the extra element of it, it's a challenge. It's supposed to be a challenge. And they build these purpose-built street circuits, which are not just street circuits, but they're also fully fitted to the regulations and the homologations of the FIA safety regulations. Um, that's great rhyming there and they have to they have to meet those standards the whole time and they wouldn't be on the calendar if they didn't meet those standards so he's telling me that every time now there's a wet race they're just going to do this exact same thing and just run scared and not run the race for fear of someone crashing out I get they have a duty to protect the drivers but they have at the same time a duty to fulfil the fans and give them a race give them more of an interesting race and it was a good race to be yeah. honest but it, mm-hmm. like, it could have been even better because of an extra fact that could have been thrown in but they were just a bit too scared of the factors playing out as they did and they almost thought the worst case scenario went with that when in reality it could have been an even better race than it was and I think honestly the, they just don't need a review they just need someone with common sense to at the end of the day is for fear of sounding blasé, just look at the sky, mate. Just look up, see how the conditions are doing, see what the track's like, and then go from there and get the driver's opinions. Like I think that's also really undervalued. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I think they could have handled it better once again.
0: Yeah, this is a bit of a carbon copy from Monaco, wasn't it, really? The FAA tying themselves in knots when there's the combination of heavy rain and a tight street circuit. So, in that regard, you've got to go and say, why haven't we learnt from the past and realised that, yes, it wasn't right to start dead on time because of the rain, but just because it's raining doesn't mean we have to be hyper cautious and make sure the track is, well, nearly slick conditions in many aspects before we go racing. Maybe that's a symptom, really, of the fact that we've not been at Singapore for two years. Maybe that's a factor going into it if you're going to try and find excuses for the decision-makers. But it's an aspect of not learning that infuriates me, but also a lack of communication and a lack of accountability, really. Because, yes, with the removal of communication between team principals and the head of the FIA, the race directors, that's a good thing in many ways. But it also means that they're now, in my view, very much an ivory tower, Uh, They send down their press releases saying, we decided to do this because that, we'll see you next week, bye. There's no accountability in that regard in terms of someone asking difficult questions, in terms of why it was an hour, why, as Tristan said, we waited until it was intermediate conditions before we went racing. But also on their part, they're not being active enough, in my view, in communicating to the drivers, to the fans, to everybody involved, why decisions are being made and, you know, we, learned, we heard so much from after the Abu Dhabi fiasco. There would be changes to the FIA, and of course, they had a vested interest in that as well to redeem some credibility and to show they were still uh, fit or the system was fit, should I say, to make sure they could administer racing. And I suppose, in many ways, you've got to put safety first in any, a track like Singapore, but you've also got to go and learn from your mistakes and realise when you're falling short yourself, really, not being sort of so well insulated and uh, sort of wrapped up in bubble wrap to go, oh, well, we're not going to go and change anything. We're going to make decisions how we want to without scrutiny, really, because if that happens, then you become less sharp, less aware, and ultimately more poor decisions are made, which I think we saw really. Like, if it had been a situation where the last really, really wet race was that one in Belgium we saw, you go, oh, well, fair enough then. They're fairly at a practice in terms of administering a wet uh, a wet track, wet conditions, particularly the one in conditions that we saw. But, as I said, it was only a handful of races ago we saw a similar situation. So, in my view, there's few excuses as to why we had to end under a stop clock condition versus getting the vast majority, if not all of the laps, done. I feel like... This is really kicked off this year and this
1: and I I maybe that's because I've got a very short term memory, but I don't remember maybe last year or year before that, and, and certainly not in the last five years looking at the track drying up and thinking, Oh well, why haven't we started yet? They usually are pretty quick to start and get going in under wet conditions and maybe you know, maybe that we happen to have Two basket case examples of tight, twisty circuits with wet conditions. But if if I'm brutally honest, it's Singapore. It's a tropical region of the world that rains a lot. You know, you can't have a track there and expect it to be dry very often. And and well, rather, you should expect rain. And so, surely, if the FIA is saying, well, actually. You know, in the wet conditions, we have to be really, really careful. The track doesn't fulfill the safety guidelines that the FIA are putting out. Because if I was putting a track together or certifying the safety of a track, I would go, okay, what's the conditions like in the dry? Okay, that's fine. Now, what's, what's the conditions like in full wets? Surely, if you say, no, we can't race in full wets, the track does not comply with F1 safety requirements. Yeah. Mm. And, and and so if it doesn't comply with F1 safe requirements, why are we going there? Because it's not safe. And that's it. You know, we know Singapore takes a long time to dry out because it was 80-something percent humidity, 85 percent humidity. And you know, it's a built-up area with very little you know ventilation. So the, the water's not going to go anywhere. It's just going to sit on the ground. There, it's a night race, so there's no sunlight either to... Try and get the evaporation going. In fact, I would argue that the wet tires are your best friends because they can displace, as I say, about 85 litres of water a second when at, at sort of racing speed. So that's gonna move loads of the water away. You know, to some extent, I think they exacerbated the problem by waiting so long and then putting the inters on, which the inters don't displace, you know, hardly any water. Um, compared to the, the full wets. And so the water's not going to go anywhere. So are, there are lots of these sort of questions now lingering in my mind about what, whether or not, you know, we should be at these tracks if it's going to rain there. And if the FIA is well, of course it's safe, you know, we know it's safe, then fine. Then you should have raced. And we should have started earlier. Because I don't know how you can, I don't know how they can have it both ways. I don't really rest. I can't really rest that in my mind. And so I, I wonder where all this sort of, this has started to come from. Because there are lots of, of, like, I don't want to say silly things, but lots of things to do with safety at the moment that I don't really understand. Like at the weekend, and and I don't want to. I want to highlight this actually. Like Lewis Hamilton was summoned to the FIA because of the no stud that he had in, and the reason why they're saying to drivers like Lewis Hamilton you've got to remove them is because of safety reasons. So he's just been fined twenty two thousand pounds for having a no stud in. I I don't see the the safety issue I mean I I understand that I'm not a a health and safety expert and probably in no way qualified to judge this but from my sedentary position I think it's perfectly fine he's got a no stud in you know it looks to me a little bit like there's some other things going on behind that particular safety ruling so we've got weird safety rulings when it comes to things like you know no studs and things like that and we've got weird safety rulings when it comes to wet tyres and things like that, I don't know, I I just, I feel like these things don't necessarily follow logic, and they're, they're sort of thrown out there by the FIA as hoops that people now have to jump through to, to get racing, so I'm a little bit concerned, and I wonder, I wonder really what, what, whether or not we're going to see some more slightly odd safety decisions coming out soon that don't necessarily follow what I would call just, you know,
0: common sense rules... Uh, and without being too much of a doomster climate change is a huge issue it means we're going to see more heavy rain at more circuits through the coming years and decades to come in terms of formula one so really timing is of the essence when it comes to the current fia and the future fia and the whole procedure getting it right and being right because as i say we're in a situation now where we're going to have more wet races in some parts of the world not just the far east than we have in singapore and they're getting it wrong just the worst time in my view so are we going to get to to a situation where oh the rain is too heavy quote unquote we can't go racing we'll delay it by an hour we'll delay it by hour 30. I mean the fact that there was even talk of this race being completely abandoned or a similar situation to the, the Belgian Grand Prix where they tootled round to make sure people could get the sort of minimum amount of points for it to tick the box of being a, a race quote unquote is quite daft in my view so I don't want to be a bit of a doomster but come on.
2: They need someone with their head screwed on, and it's um, I don't understand why. I remember they used to have wet races back in the day where the argument would be you would get a race starting, and they'd be doing 10 laps behind the safety car, and everyone would be going, well, why can't they race? It's fine enough to race. And now it is, well, we can race, but why can't they race? Oh, because they're still in the garage because they haven't been summoned yet. So, for my my mind, having them run behind the safety car is a better solution Someone in the FIA needs the guts to just make the decision to make the race go ahead. If this race had been cancelled this weekend, that just makes me deeply upset from inside that someone could think that to be a sensible solution. Like, come on. Like someone some people really need to like have their heads screwed on and think about actual sensible decisions. Instead of being they're overthinking it almost. The FIA does have a history of this, I'd I'd say. They like they generally do a good job, but they do have these occasions where they overthink things. I don't know if you guys ever remember seven or eight years ago now. I think where they they brought in instead of tackling the many safety issues of the day, they brought in a rule saying that drivers could only have one helmet change per season. and They get fined if they if they um, if they didn't if they did more than that. So I think this is once again going back to the example of Lewis Hamilton's nose stud, which, to be honest, I think myself like ninety percent of Formula fans. Have no interest in. Like let the man wear his nose stud. I um, I don't care really. Um like the FAA once again making questionable calls on what to focus on. Yeah. Um that's, it. that's how I describe it. So someone just they just need someone with their head screwed on really, um, to run things, but they don't seem to have that all the time.
0: And going on to the race content itself, it was a Red Bull that won this race. But no, it's not the one you're thinking. Sergio Perez qualified P2 and after a superstar climbed up to P1 and held it in front of two Ferraris for the entirety of the race. There were two safety cars, there were virtual safety cars which caused chaos behind him. He had to evade, ultimately, the undercut and the overcut and two Ferraris behind him and their strategy they had imposed on him. But the only time he really looked that vulnerable was... A, towards the end of the race, in my view, or when the investigation was launched regarding whether he was within 10 car lengths of the safety car when one of those was in place. And I hate to draw you know, another comparison with Monaco on you all, but this win was quite similar for Perez, I think, in what was quite a hectic Grand Prix at a street circuit. But what do you make of his evening, and has he shown, once again, the quality that he has and why he's worthy to be in the current top team at least? Well,
1: let's actually take a quote directly from said top team Red Bull with Christian Horner, the team principal, who said this was Checo Perez's greatest ever drive in F1. And uh, you might disagree with that. You might, or or you might not. But I think the team thinks he is worthy of being Max Verstappen's right-hand man. And I would agree. I thought Perez did a fantastic job because this was a difficult race. There was a lot of drama, I'd say, in it. the The first sort of fifteen minutes, twenty minutes, was a little, little lackluster, to say the least. And then once, once the the dominoes started to fall, boy, did they start to fall. Because it was, I think, more of a of a, a case of Perez hanging on, um, to to the the lead rather than cruising back to victory, which often we we do see, unfortunately. And it was a difficult track it's a difficult track Singapore because not only does it flow in kind of weird ways with the very tight corners and then moments of high speed racing before slamming on the brakes to to uh, enter into another slow part of the track but you're also fighting with the fact that it was very very slippery as well so braking points are different you have to not you know, you can't outbrake yourself, you've got to make sure your tyres are nice and warm as you're fighting with a drying track, I mean, that is no easy feat, afterwards, after the race in the cool-down room, Perez uh, rather cheekily turned to Charles Leclerc, who came in second and was pressuring him the whole time, basically, and said, ah, so, um, Did you almost lose it? And uh, Leclerc goes, Yep. (laughs) And so there was, I think, a mutual understanding of all the drivers that this was a particularly difficult race because they all all almost lost it a few times and many drivers did and some of which you wouldn't have maybe thought. I mean, Lewis Hamilton crashed briefly into Turn (laughs) 7 which was unexpected. Um, So, for Perez, I feel like this was, I agree, one of his best drives I've seen him do because... It was just a beautiful combination of diving into the lead at the beginning, you know, knowing when to to sort of back off a little bit and you know be able to defend from Charles Leclerc, which is no easy feat as well, and not crash on Singapore in the wet. Absolutely fantastic. I'm I'm so over the moon that he actually managed to, to win. And as a little fun thing for you, car number eleven crossed the line at 11-11. Eleven, uh, Singapore time as well. So the numbers aligned, the stars aligned for him, which was which was really rather sweet. Um, and you know, for a race which I think Red Bull were perhaps you know not expecting to have huge amounts of celebrations because Max Verstappen <laughs> qualified in eighth because of a weird fuel, um, weird fuel thing, and Perez in second. You know, I think many of us expected Leclerc to, to storm off at the beginning and win this one. So. It came as a surprise as well, which sometimes those victories are the greatest ones—the ones which you don't expect to see. And so I'm glad Perez can, uh, you know, put this feather back in back into his cap. You know, he's won at Monaco, difficult conditions, and he's won at Singapore, difficult conditions. So it turns out Perez is going to win every single track, which is a a tight, twisty, slow race track um, on the streets in the wet. That apparently seems to be where Perez uh, is a duck to water, if you pardon the pun. It's
2: an ironic statement at the last bit because
1: is one of his two two
2: other F one races was in Baku, so he clearly has an, an affinity for street circuits. Um, do you remember all those people who were saying not all those, but there are a few people who were saying that Perez may be under pressure for his seat at Red Bull? Um, what a load of rubbish, honestly. Like if there's one man who is perfect for that seat because one he's a good backup to his teammate. None of Max Verstappen's teammates since Daniel Ricciardo, none of his other ones could win when Verstappen had an off day. Perez does that. He pulls out of the bag off more often than not. Um, no, none of the other go that were in that that spot could hold their own at the front. Um, Perez has the experience as well to bounce back from a tough period. He's been through many in his F1 career. Let's not forget the time when, in 2020 when he was jettisoned out of the... Aston Martin once racing point team for a, um ageing Sebastian Vettel. I bet Perez is feeling a bit smug about that right now, to be honest. Um, and the fact that he could be questioned for his talent, his hard work, I think is a bit ridiculous because I think he's perfect for that second Red Bull seat. L- last year, he was a perfect foil for Max Verstappen to help him get that title. This year, he is the perfect person to reinforce Red Bull's lead in the Constructors' Championship. He's two points off being second in the Championship to, uh, to and only being behind the most dominant driver of the year. So what more could you ask from him? He's had a few tough results, yes. He may have been 0, average point six seven three four five whatever seconds in qualifying over the last five, six races, but people have short memories, you know. People have short memories to which ena- which enables them and means that they write off Perez's consistency which he's shown throughout the year and throughout his two years at Red Bull and throughout most of his F1 career to be honest and I thought this was a brilliant measured drive in tricky conditions like you said um and also the fact that he came under pressure from the Ferrari Leclerc was within a second or two of him for large parts of the race and there was a little bit right at the end all right at the end about tw- 15 20 laps from the end where Perez looked vulnerable but then he recovered from a little wobble managed to hold on and then pulled away again at the end like he showed the composure under pressure so as far as I'm concerned like there's no real need to question his his ability or his credibility um he's just helped Red Bull get a sixth win in a row for the second time this season so as far as I see it like no question about his place, and also at the end of the day, Red Bull don't have any junior drivers <clears throat> at the moment who'd be worthy of stepping into that seat. So there need to be no issue. And weekends like this prove it. Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly could never pull off a weekend like this when they were in the Red Bull, and you could say, well, they were too they were too inexperienced and they were too overawed. Well, that's the point. Sergio Perez is not inexperienced nor is he overawed because otherwise he wouldn't have roared back into contention this weekend. So. Like As far as I'm concerned, he continues to do a stellar job and is worthy of that seat, absolutely, and this weekend with a strong qualifying, a great start on what is one of the shortest... It takes quite a lot to take the lead of a race at the start on one of the probably top three shortest run downs to the first corner all season, showing what a good start he had. So, nailed it as far as I'm concerned and that should put any questions to bed about his... His place in the team, if there were anyway, because he has a two-year contract after this. But yeah, proving he's the perfect foil to a dominant driver in what is a currently a bit of a machine of a team, isn't it?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Well done to Perez, really. I felt in a strange sort of way he needed a victory like this to remind everybody how good he was, because not everybody that watches Formula One, unlike ourselves, looks religiously at the drivers' championship table and sees him only two points away from Ferrari's dominant driver, Charles Leclerc, and even he is so far off Max Verstappen. So, in many ways i think he needed to remind everyone how good he can be in such conditions as we saw in singapore there and to show that as we say when verstappen was having an off day which we'll get into perez is there to go and pick up the pieces and the fact that he held off two ferraris is in my view quite remarkable really it's often the case in these sort of more recent seasons where you'd see two drivers beating one because of the strategy they could play the undercut the overcut and when when you, when we consider that in terms of machinery Ferrari and Red Bull are very, very close. Yes, there's a huge reason why uh, Ferrari are so far behind in the Constructors and the Drivers' Championship. We won't rehash that old argument again, but Perez showing at the age of 32, somebody who was experienced but still got many years left at the top, how good he can be, really. But um, in terms of his greatest drive ever... Difficult to say because, in my view, the 2020 Sakai Grand Prix, where he won in that racing point, will always hold a special moment in my heart. Really, and I think that is probably his best drive because it real nailed down firmly why he deserved to be in Formula One moving forwards. Because. If, if it's to be believed, this was at a point where he was without a seat currently for the 21 season. So winning that race was arguably more important for his career because it got him that drive. Versus this one just reinforces what we already knew. But um, congratulations to him. I don't think we're going to see Perez competing for the championship moving forward. However, I think he's the perfect number two driver, a Bottas, a Barrichello type driver who's always going to be really valuable for the team. Hopefully not constrained as those two drivers that I mentioned there, but... Showing why he deserves to be at the top, really, and being given a chance. There's question marks, wasn't there, when he was promoted, someone outside of the Red Bull Academy, going into it and jumping, or leapfrogging, should I say, someone like Pierre Gasly, who some thought, oh, we'll give him another go. He's got more experience when it comes to AlphaTauri and the the, the driving there, but... um. It just backs up the decision from Christian Horner and co to go and promote him there and um, shows that in many ways moving forwards, often going for the gamble, not just hiring from within, not looking at any team in particular, is actually quite a good thing. So maybe Red Bull and others can learn a bit from that really, but um, congrats to him. Hopefully he can keep this up and go on one of his other sort of purple patches, which seems to be quite systematic of what he does. But uh, the fact that he is so close to um, Leclerc and the fact that he is, well, one would think anyway, far away from George Russell, who it has been in inferior technology for sure, but has been so consistent until this weekend is a credit to him, really. So I think any discussion about him being dumped should be off the cards. But then again, I think any idea about him being a world champion moving forwards is unlikely at this point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think the the an easy way to sort of visualise, if you'd like, how good Perez has been this this year... Is the fact that we've only got five races left, and it's not mathematically impossible for Sergio Perez to win the drivers' championship. And when you look back at previous years, especially between the period about two thousand and fifteen to two thousand and twenty, and the the Hamilton dominance, by this point, third place was miles behind. Like if you just just look at. 2020, when third place Max Verstappen was on 214 points. That's how good Perez has been this year. We know that Max has run away with it a little bit at the front, and we are expecting him to win this championship. I think it's now a matter of time um, and races as opposed to anything else. But the fact is, there is only two points between Leclerc and Perez. And that means that fight for second place is very much alive and I would expect, I would expect it might actually go down to the wire to Abu Dhabi to see who's going to get second place in the championship. It, it's its almost a shame and don't take this perhaps the wrong way, but it's almost a shame Max Verstappen is involved this year because, you know, first, if we just had second, third and fourth, we'd have such an amazing fight for the end. The second, Charles Leclerc, 237 points. Perez, 235 points. Russell, two hundred and three points. Sainz, two hundred and two points. You know those the the play second, third, fourth, and fifth. The fight for second and the fight for fourth is such an immense battle now. And the fact is, Perez is keeping up with Leclerc, and Leclerc was championed as that you know incredible driver that's going to have the longest contract with Ferrari. Well, if Perez is keeping up with him, then you know, that tells you quite a lot about, about Perez, really, and his consistency. And yeah, he might not have had every race be fantastic, but in saying that, nor is Leclerc. And yes, mm. Leclerc has had reliability reliability issues, but so has Perez, so has that Red Bull. So actually, when you look at the season overall, I would say it's a pretty fair fight. And I think Perez could well, you know, have a fight with Leclerc all the way to the end. And I really, really hope he does, because this this weekend demonstrated that not only can Perez you know match Leclerc but he can also beat him and survive that pressure. And so I I don't know where the uh, the nattering is going on about Perez perhaps being dropped from Red Bull or or being challenged because I don't know where that challenge is coming from at the moment. There is no one else, I think. Mm-hmm. I think Verstappen and Perez is an incredibly solid partnership as solid as perhaps Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas was uh, even as as solid as Ricardo and Verstappen were uh, they were very good as well you know yes they had their moments but that was a fantastic period for Red Bull so I think they're very very safe and I think Christian Horner knows that that Perez is you know pulling his weight but also propelling the team forward in the in the constructors championship which is exactly Mm. what they
0: need right now Come on, then. Money where our mouths are. Who's getting second place, Leclerc or Perez, if you had to call it now? Le- Leclerc, I'd say. Just. That's my gut. I'm going to go with Perez. Mm. I think the having the Mexican Grand Prix in there really does add a bit of spice and probably tilts it a bit more in Perez's favour, I'd argue. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, we know the Red Bull's
1: got the incredible straight line speed. And don't forget that we are heading towards, you know, Mexico Brazil Abu Dhabi those are fast mm. tracks I uh, mm. and I think Perez I think Perez could do it I think I'm, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the Mexican I think he could do it and
0: uh, I'll let Angus say I told you so say when he doesn't what a coup that would be a 1-2 for Red Bull and then winning the Constructors as well what about you Tom we'll wait and see I think Perez I think having the Mexican Grand Prix in there is to his To his value, he always does quite well there in whatever car he seems to be in, especially last year as well, getting on the podium. I also hear the argument regarding the straight line speed of the Red Bull, but the other part of me says that the superstitious side almost says that Leclerc is... Due a win, almost, because there's been so many scenarios where he's been on pole, been close to pole, failed to convert, you think that surely if he keeps that going in terms of Saturday Saturday qualifying, he'll be able to convert at least one of those, and perhaps Perez will be, I suppose, at the mercy of Red Bull team orders in regards to Versappen comes first to win that championship, but... Incredibly close, same as well with Russell and Signs, which we'll perhaps get onto in another episode there, but um, there was still a lot of excitement in the season regardless of the dominance of Mr Verstappen and the fact he could have won this championship at this race, just gone Singapore that is, if things had all gone in the right direction for him. But going on to that side of the Red Bull garage, you know, that's such a happy weekend for Max Verstappen. Qualified in eighth, finished in eighth. There were no penalties, just a few issues when it came to qualifying. And after a poor start, swashbuckling with many in the midfield, a spin. He was only able to equal his Saturday positioning thanks to a Lewis Hamilton mistake. And ultimately, like so many other drivers, he struggled with the conditions out there, which was quite unusual to see, really, as did Hamilton. But we'll get on to him. But what do we make of Max Verstappen's poor weekend this weekend versus the stellar ones we've become so accustomed to?
1: Well, my uh, my question actually, Tom, is is do you think this is just a, a one a one race split for Verstappen? Because it seems a bit of a change of form after the, the total dominance and paired with I think an internal in house Red Bull mistake.
0: Hmm. Yeah, well I think, well, looking at the last four or five races, wins from France all the way to Monza really shows how dominant he had been, I think. When we look at someone like Verstappen, look at someone like Hamilton as well in years gone by, we become so accustomed to him dominating, become so accustomed to the machine and the Red Bull garage, or Mercedes garage in that regard, uh, ultimately pulling in the right direction, everything going splendidly well. So I think he was probably due a bad weekend, but I didn't expect it to be this bad, really. I mean, the fact that he's been beaten by uh, McLaren, for example, was. Quite you know, uh, unforetold, Being beaten by an Aston Martin as well. Lance Stroll. Granted, he's very good in the wet. And we'll get onto both those constructors, indeed uh, drivers, moving forwards. But I was surprised by the fact he was that far down. I just expected, became accustomed to the fact that he would find his way through the field and is normally a very decent drive when it comes to the wet conditions not one of the greats in my view but more than able to hold his own when it comes to uh, the more damper tracks so i was surprised but i don't think there's any need for concern really because as i say context wise in terms of relativity everything's been going so well the bar's been set so high that. It's a custom, I suppose, in almost any season for any driver. Look at Lewis Hamilton Mercedes at the Hockenheim Grand Prix, for example, going horribly wrong there. Um, Also, as well, looking back to last season when he was the only one who didn't pit and had the restart by himself. You know, teams make mistakes, really, so there's no need to sort of be too concerned. I suppose if you are Red Bull and Verstappen, you're just so happy it comes at a race where you could have won the championship versus, let's say, earlier in the season in terms of somewhere like Miami or Spain or Azerbaijan when it was far more costly, really. So if you had a choice of where to make your mistakes, it would be when the championship was pretty much all sewn up. But um, yeah, warning signs, I guess, in some regards that things can go wrong, but no need for real concern would be the way I surmise it.
2: Yeah, honestly, Tom took the words right out of my mouth. It's literally just like when L- Lewis Hamilton, who was, has been a dominant driver in Formula One over recent years, and as much as he is without question a great driver, and this what, what happens every now and then doesn't question that, but every time even the greats have a stinker, even they have an absolute stinker of a weekend, and they just want to put it to one side, and it probably makes them more determined to come back and absolutely destroy the opposition the next weekend. The one that comes to mind, that like Tom said, is Hockenheim 2019, where Hamilton was in a strong position in the championship, the Mercedes was the fastest car. It was all going absolutely perfectly. And he just had an absolute an absolute stinker. Literally crashed off at the time, uh, went over the pit lane entry line, spun when he was in the points. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Just made a few mistakes. Verstappen this weekend, the, the instant in qualifying is a strange one because Red Bull just didn't, Fill up enough fuel in the car, it seems. Or they told him to bought a fast lap when he didn't need to. Um, Ferrari-esque mistakes, you might say. And then on the on the race, he made a poor start, almost stalled it, dropped down four or five places. And then when he was fighting back up through the field, he went off the escape road and made a mistake. And those weekends sometimes happen. And all he can say is that at the end of a weekend where he was below par, he came away. With his championship lead only reduced by what 12 points, and with his dignity intact, with six points instead of zero, and at a time when he is miles ahead in the championship and still has a chance to seal it next weekend. And everyone's talking about the romance of a Max Verstappen in a Red Bull powertrain car, which is helped by Honda being crowned world champion at Suzuka, the home of. Japanese motorsport. There is, there's all saying it's quite a, uh, quite a lovely touch that will be, and I'm sure obviously it won't be deliberate. They would have wanted to seal the championship this weekend, of course. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like he had a stinker, but I think this Hamilton used to do this. He'd have a stinker of a weekend, and then the next weekend he'd turn up and absolutely tear everyone to shreds. So to be honest with you, I'm saying Verstappen, pole position, fastest lap, win. 53 laps led on Sunday morning, and the title's going to be his. So I see only one outcome for the next race, because he'll be, as much as he'll hide it, he'll be mad. You heard him on the team radio after Saturday's qualifying. He, He wants the best all the time. He's mad that he didn't get pole that day, and he'll be mad that he didn't get a good result in the race. So, yeah, he's coming for them, and it literally, this weekend, can be put down to the world champion, the best driver on the grid, had a poor weekend, and when you say it like that, it's not the most outrageous statement so I think he'll definitely return to form at the next possible opportunity
1: but it was nice of him wasn't it to uh, <laughs> and the Red Bull team <laughs> to to keep the championship going just a little bit longer as many mm. fans took to Twitter after the last race and said ah oh, well that's it it's over now uh, who's looking forward to Singapore being the final race of the championship? Uh. Um, it was nice of uh, Red Bull to, to keep it going a little bit. But that's that was what I saw a lot of um, mildly disgruntled fans saying that they were sad that it was over already. Um, but it was nice for them to keep it going just a little bit longer, even if it's probably going to get wrapped up um, at Suzuka, which is nice to have Suzuka back on the, on the grid. We would not actually have time this week to talk about it, but I cannot wait. Um, for Suzuki it's nice to see that one back as well but I think you're you're both absolutely right there's nothing like a little bit of failure to give you the grit and determination to to pull your socks up and um, come back fighting so Mm. I think I think in this particular case Max Verstappen will be like the Black Knight out of um, (laughs) out of Monty Python it will be just a scratch and he will come back next week and and take the championship uh, maybe then and I I can't see why that wouldn't happen Uh, it's it's Red Bull's, you know, on top form at the moment, which happens on top form. He was looking like he was going to get pole position until the team went, quick, stop, you haven't got enough fuel, and he slammed on the brakes going, why, what's going on? Um, So, to be honest, maybe it should have been sort of almost wrapped up this weekend, um, but... That's beside the by. It isn't. So, yeah, I, I look forward to next weekend and seeing Max, you know, return to maybe have the opportunity to take pole position if he can. But equally, a little part of me would like Max kind of not to return to fall next next week, maybe, if if it could be wet conditions in Suzuka. That would be fantastic because Suzuka is a very, very challenging track. It's got lots of undulations, lots of um, height changes, It's a track that you have to feel the rhythm of, I think, to to really get the most out of it. So to add a little bit of of rain in there, that would be even better. But realistically speaking, Max is going to be very determined. In the post-race shots of Max, he was sort of sitting there looking mildly disgruntled, probably because it was a very, very difficult race for him. You know, As I'm going to parrot David Croft, the uh, Sky F1 (laughs) commentator, the history of books will show that Max started in 8th and ended in 8th but it won't tell you how he got there and that was very, very true because Max had to fight for that position a lot and it, it was not an easy not an easy race for him. Bear in mind that we saw mistakes from him um, as he went flying off the track because he outbraked himself which put him behind and so then he had to fight back up to from 10th place back into 8th and it was just a little bit of a bizarre race but... I think next week Max will be on top form Red Bull will be on top form and we might well have a new championship next week.
0: Absolutely. For some reason I feel that it's going to be all sewn up in the US of A. I don't know why. I just have a feeling that it's going to be Mm. I think Ferrari are owed or due should I say a win. I think they've actually been quite consistent when it comes to, well, I say consistent, not making the uh, sort of schoolboyer as they did previously. Perez is also, I suppose, moving in an upward trajectory in a purple patch now. I think you've got George Russell as well who's had his first bad weekend. Not really his fault in many regards, but a poor weekend nonetheless in Singapore. Hamilton also similar. Everyone's going to be sort of chomping at the bit, really, to make sure they have a good return to Japan. I think... In a similar fashion as well, we had such a break from Singapore and we saw different people at the top of the podium. Maybe Japan will be similar as well, but look forward to it. I think, sorry, just doing a little bit of napkin math. I think
1: if Max wins next week, perhaps while I'm talking about this you can quickly also check my maths, I think if Max wins next week, he will win outright because he'll get 25 points, which would be 366 points. So even if Charles got second place next week he'd get the 18 points that's 255 points and then at that mm. point um we only have four races left after that and that would be 100 points so that would be 355 so i think if max wins I think
2: the i think the main the main scenario having read it that he wins the championship next so he has to be 100 and because of the sprint later on because the season. Because of to be the sprint. To be, This is why they have be, the sprint. <laughs> so he, he has to be 112 points ahead of Leclerc. And the only the, way, the best way for him to do that is to win the race with the fastest lap. That would increase his lead from 104 to 112. And then he'd have 12 wins to Leclerc's three. So it couldn't be overtaken. Yeah, so the,
1: this is the thing about the sprints. This is what we were saying last week. The sprints will extend the championship. So yeah, because of the sprints... It makes it a bit more difficult, but um, he's pretty close now. I think I think we can basically say if Max wins next week, that's it; it's over. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, if Charles mm-hmm. comes anywhere other than second, then it's it's over, which will be exciting. But you think it's going to end in uh, end in in Os- um, the United States? I'm not so sure. I think it's going to be wrapped up next week, but I guess we'll wait and
0: find out. How we go from the person that won last year's driver championship to the person who finished second by so few points Lewis Hamilton he qualified in P3 but finished in P nine and I went into Sunday thinking we could have ourselves the first Mercedes win of the year honestly thinking so but no he is pushed off at the start by signs complaining again to his team regarding wanting older Inters versus newer ones. He went on and ultimately crashed at one point but somehow once again managed to keep the car going. Credit to him there and ultimately struggled to overtake uh, many a car in front of him. Was then overtaken by Max Verstappen. Couldn't match Sebastian Vettel in the Aston Martin. A bad day at the office. What do you make of that?
2: Yeah. I feel like they missed a chance, didn't they, Mercedes? They have already missed a chance there too. They were t- bigging up their chances of possibly winning this race, I mean, I don't know whether, I mean, before the weekend I was thinking, I'm not sure realistically, because previous history suggests that they struggle in Singapore, tends to be, even in their dominant years, it was a weak link in their armoury, a chink in their armoury, in terms of tracks they were strong at, Um, but then they turned up, they had good pace, topping a practice session in first practice, admittedly in the day, so less representative for a night race, but still a raw pace showing and then qualifying was was promising I didn't really clock it until I checked the results again on Saturday night but he was only 0.054 off pole was Lewis Hamilton so half a tenth of a second which is minuscule it's a matter of meters in Formula 1 considering how fast the cars are going so he was desperately close to pole position and then you thought well, Mercedes have generally shown better race pace than qualifying pace throughout the year. So yeah, there could be a chance. But then, yeah, poor start. Got stuck behind Carlos Sainz, who was a slower car for most of the race. He was, Sainz got himself a podium, but he wasn't really on it, that race. Um, and Hamilton then just, yeah, it just he got stuck behind Sainz. Then he made his uncharacteristic error. We were talking about uncharacteristic errors earlier for Verstappen. Hamilton made one too. Going off at the exact same corner... Whilst Verstappen outbraked himself and managed to do a juicy flat spot on both front tyres and then spin-turn uh, spin, it round, uh, Hamilton clonked the barriers of this front wing and whilst it wasn't enough to send him out the race or require an immediate pit stop, it put him at a pace disadvantage and sent him behind Lando Norris and Max Verstappen um, before, him needing, before he then needed to pit. He then had to pit under the safety car for Yuki Tsunoda's accident and it meant that he then got stuck behind Lance Stroll and Sebastian Vettel. As well as well as Daniel Ricciardo, um, so yeah, a missed opportunity. And again, Hamilton, it's not it's not really a it's a stinker of a race, but not really a stinker of a qualifying because he showed good raw pace in qualifying. But yeah, you feel like every race, every race, uh, Mercedes are losing a chance to win a race. Although they are bigging up Austin again. I read an article about George Russell saying he thought Austin could be a a good shout, and I can see what he means. It's got. Pretty uh, that f- first sector with all the fast corners. The S section has got some other good paced, fast paced corners in there. Um, it's kind of like Silverstone in its characteristics, and that's one where Mercedes were very strong. Um, so there is still a chance, but is there is a definite possibility that one of, in my opinion, one of the most fascinating statistics in Formula One is that Lewis Hamilton is the only driver in Formula One history to win a race in every single season he's competed. So he's been in F1 15 years before this year, won at least one race in every year. The only driver to have won in 15 separate years was Michael Schumacher, but Michael Schumacher had a couple of winless years towards the end of his career. So the record, one record which only Lewis Hamilton has held is looking in more and more threat. And whilst he may well, I think he will sleep at night for the rest of his life if he doesn't win a race this season, he is a competitor and he'll want to win at every cost. So I think you'll see some determined Hamilton performances in the rest of the season. You may see, it's a question I posed earlier in the season after Spa, I think it was, do Mercedes, are they that fussed get back, getting second from Ferrari in the constructors and the extra few millions, or do they want to come away with some pride from the season and say that they've won a race, whether that's with Russell or Hamilton? And I think you may, in my opinion, you'll see both Hamilton and Russell and the Mercedes team taking a few more risks, maybe with strategy, like they did in Zandvoort, you know, and that almost paid off. You may see them taking a few more risks, risks to try and get an elusive win. And it, I mean, you know, they'll only find out if it works. But at the same time, I think that that's the best chance they've got to try and roll the dice and try and have a strategy gamble or hope for a safety car falling at the, at the right time. So. Yeah, that was definitely a missed opportunity this weekend for Mercedes and for Hamilton. Especially for Hamilton. Russell-, Russell was kind of out the picture with his quality performance, but Hamilton definitely missed an opportunity. But who knows what could happen in the remaining races. But time is running out.
1: This was, I think, the best opportunity for Mercedes to win a race, with Hamilton qualifying in the third position. And to be honest, I am I wonder a little bit whether or not if we started in full wets, when they would all been in a wet tyres, whether or not Hamilton maybe could have capitalised on the opportunity and once you get into a head in Singapore it's very difficult for other drivers to get past you perhaps that would have been beneficial to Mercedes in this particular particular scenario but we didn't start in full wets, we started on Inters and there was an internal debate in the Hamilton garage about what type of Inters they should start on, whether or not they should be uh, scrubbed i.e. used or brand new and Hamilton said you should have listened to me Uh, I'm not sure actually whether or not he wanted scrubbed or not but that doesn't matter and it didn't work out for him and as you say we had a uncharacteristic mistake from from Lewis as he crashed into tit um into the barriers at turn seven straight on uh dead on the front of his nose of his car which was lucky because it means it didn't break the the wing off um and and that would have caused debris or maybe lodged uh the car in there or something like that so he was pretty lucky but the fact is Singapore remains one of Hamilton's you know, best performing tracks, I always think back to 2018, the uh, Singapore Grand Prix where Hamilton got pole position with a 136.015, a time so fast that Mercedes didn't even know the car could go around the track that fast, all of their predictions from their computerized simulations suggested the the maximum speed of the car around the track their theoretical maximum was slower than that and uh hamilton managed to beat it mm. which is just bizarre wow. i know absolutely bizarre to compare that was that the, to that
2: was that 2018 yeah 2018 you yeah so you his go greatest back,
1: quality lap you want to go back and watch a decent um lap around singapore that is the one to go to 2018 to compare that the fastest qualifying time was one forty nine point four this year, so that's how much the slippery work conditions took out the track. But I, to be honest, I think this was just one of those cases where there was, you know, it's a slippery track under pressure, new cars, mistakes going to happen, happened to happen with Hamilton. But I think this was the the only opportunity, one of the very few opportunities that we can we can say that Mercedes could have won the race from third position in wet conditions around Singapore where Hamilton likes mm. it. It will, uh, it will always be one of those, you know, what if races. But to be honest, I don't think Mercedes are going to prioritise winning a race this year. I think they're going to prioritise trying to get that constructor position and I think that's
0: the right move yeah it's going to be a huge task though when you look at the gap between Ferrari and Mercedes in the hundreds when it comes to, to points gap there but we'll see and I suppose they've had their poor weekend to get out of their system George Russell in particular but yes a very a bad day at the office of Lewis Hamilton and it's slowly but surely turning to a bad season even you know by his lofty standards being in sixth place being 30 points off your teammates being you know really out of the fight for most races and only having sniffs of chances to get onto the top step of the podium and being second twice it's just not been a very good season for him i think and the chances of the amount of them are definitely closing in terms of the races we got left Yes, Austin could be good, but looking at somewhere like Mexico and Sao Paulo even, I don't think there's going to be much hope there, really. But um, it's a shame to see that he's been so far off the pace. Not because he's been necessarily... A bad driver, it's just that George Russell has been able to handle quite a difficult car better than him, and therefore the third car by default for the majority of the season. There, but hopefully, this will be one of those seasons where we go, Ah, oh, do you remember when Hamilton had a bit of a uh, a duff year and then went back to his winning ways, or something similar in the years to come that was a bit of a blip year? That That's fantastic. I, I hope that happens, but he does. Make concern when the gap is so big between him and his teammates who as Rosberg likes to remind us often they drive the same cars. And unfortunately, that's all we got time for in terms of episode 32 of F1 in review. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this one, be that on your preferred podcast provider or via River Radio, be that live or via the listen back feature. A reminder you can follow myself and Tristan individually on Twitter as well as the F1 in review accounts. It's just like that, no hyphens, no dashes, no nothing. But yes, we look now next to the Japanese Grand Prix. It returns once again after many years of absence brought up by the pandemic qualifying is at 7am more reasonable time to the race starting at 6am that being the british times the race on the sunday and qualifying on the saturday for those who don't know but thank you very much for listening all the way to the end of this episode we'll be back next week to discuss and review the japanese grand prix goodbye